Okay, and perhaps while the buckets are finishing off their rounds, if you have a Bible, you could be finding Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, the verses that we're looking at should come up on the screen so you can uh, read them there. We're going to be looking at Mark, chapter 6, and uh, we'll be reading from verse 45. Right, here we go. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethesda while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. And when they'd crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, and countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed." So we're coming uh, today to complete chapter 6 of Mark's Gospel. Been in Mark's Gospel for a little while, and for the last few weeks uh, in Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6, what we've seen before now is that having some time ago already chosen and called 12 disciples, 12 apostles, 12 helpers, if you like, 12 learners, uh, Jesus has now sent them out. Uh, a few verses ago, Jesus sent them out to go on their own kind of mission trips in pairs, going to preach uh, the message of the gospel, going to heal the sick and drive out demons too. And they come back and we've seen a variety of really uh, situations where Jesus has been training his disciples. A little while ago, we looked at the death of uh, John the Baptist and we saw there in particular the cost of being a disciple. Uh, we've also seen with Jesus feeding the 5,000, the, the compassion, really primarily the compassion of Jesus um, that one day eventually would rub off on them too. Um, and now as we come to look at Jesus walking on the water, we're going to focus on the disciples and their courage. Courageous discipleship is what they were called to, what we're called to um, as well. Uh, in this period of training, We see the disciples that they are more involved, more committed, more prominent, more anointed than they were before chapter 6. They've received Jesus' authority, they've been sent, they've been getting their hands, they've been getting stuck in, they've been involved even in distributing this miraculous um, provision of food. So they're more involved, more committed, more prominent, more, more anointed, but also... They're more tested, they're more challenged, and they look 
less and less impressive. Um, Remember that, that Mark is only telling us what he knows is because he would have had conversations with these very men, uh, men like Peter. Um, so they're saying, they're, they're kind of being bluntly honest about what their discipleship was like. We can find an odd encouragement in that, that Jesus didn't pick out 12 perfect disciples and say, well, I can use you. He picked out 12 weak, sometimes fearful, sometimes irritable, limited, misunderstanding disciples, and he works in them and uses them. So Jesus' message to them on this occasion uh, is, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. If you want to remember one verse that we're looking at from that passage, just remember those words from Jesus, take courage, It is I, don't be afraid. And we've even been hearing during the time of worship about God coming to deal with with fears and breaking chains and uh, coming and saying, be courageous. It's me, I'm with you, don't be afraid. Disciples of Jesus often need to hear that. People following God right through the Bible have, well, always been in situations where they've needed to hear that. Joshua, leading God's people, Time and time again, in Joshua chapter 1, is being told, be strong and courageous. You're going into a completely uh, new and unknown situation. Uh, a completely new land lies before you. Lots of battles, lots of challenges, but I'm with you. Therefore, be strong. Be courageous. An angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to have a baby boy conceived by the Holy Spirit who is God. And you're to call him Jesus. You're to call him Emmanuel. But how can this be? She's absolutely petrified. And the angel says, don't be afraid. You found favor with God. God is with you. God is going to work with you through this. Uh, God uh, speaks in a dream to Paul and says, be courageous. You've had to stand up before certain men and declare your faith. You're going to even do it in Rome as well. I'm with you. Take courage. All the way through And for us too, God is saying, be courageous. Often perhaps because we need to hear it. There are situations otherwise would make us fearful as we're going to see as we go through. So we're going to look at courageous discipleship uh, this morning. And we're going to ask a few questions that will help us arrive at how this passage can help us. Firstly, when? When do we need to take courage? The disciples could be forgiven for having a slight sense of deja vu. We've been here before. This is a similar situation, just repeating itself again. Oh, how frustrating. You see, loads of different things happened in the boat. A few chapters ago, in chapter 4, they were in the boat, and at Jesus' instruction, they went and they set sail to go to the other side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee. And uh, they met a massive storm, and Jesus was asleep on the boat. Now, at Jesus' instruction again, they've got back in the boat to sail across uh, the lake. They're following Jesus' instructions, and it's not easy. Now, it's not a furious squall, it's not a massive storm that threatens to um, make them a shipwreck. 
But we're told that they're straining at the oars because the wind was against them. So for a long time, all the way through the night, they have the back-breaking work of sailing into a headwind, which is trying to push them uh, the other way. So they're making painfully slow progress. But yes, it's not quite as bad, perhaps, as a storm which was about to drown them. However, on that occasion, at least Jesus was in the boat. Admittedly, uh, for the first part, he was asleep. But he was right there. He was available. All they had to do was wake him up. On this occasion, Jesus isn't there. Jesus isn't with them. We, we know right from the outset that um, immediately after feeding the 5,000, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him uh, while he dismissed the crowd. And after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. So Jesus has gone in a different direction. He sent them one way. He's gone another. He's gone to prioritize getting time alone with his father uh, in prayer, seeking his help and guidance for whatever is to come next. The disciples are by themselves in the boat with back-breaking work, and they're making little progress. It's the darkest hour of the night. So we know that Jesus saw him, uh, the, 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 went out to the fourth watch of the night. That's roughly somewhere between three and six in the morning. And they're making painfully slow progress. So when do we need to take courage? Here are a few situations. For many people, first, hearing Mark's gospel, they would need to take courage when facing persecution. For Mark's first hearers, first readers, early Christians, maybe in Rome or other big centers, they would think of these storms represented here in the gospel. They would think, well, actually, that resonates for us because uh, okay, we've not encountered a storm on a lake, but we're going through circumstances which are incredibly tough. Uh, okay, right now it's not as bad as it has been, but at different times, in different ways, there are these waves of persecution. Uh, when the emperor, emperor or even the Jewish people are, are cracking down on a very inconvenient new group of Christians... Maybe they would have then this sense of, here we go again. Here comes, here comes the next wave. Here comes the, here comes the pain. Here comes the hardship. That would be how, for many people, that's when they would need to take courage. When it's not easy. For us and for them too, there will be other occasions to take courage when tested by adversity. Tested by hardship. It might not be persecution. Uh, but Scripture speaks broadly of the challenges that believers, disciples of Jesus will face. So if you look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6, uh, Peter writing there says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. There are all kinds of trials, all manner of challenges and difficulties that present themselves. could be um, the, the balance of family and work life or health taking an unexpected hit, a setback, financial hardships, uh, or literally grief, a whole variety of human experience that comes 
to us all at different times in different ways. So when do we need to take courage? Take courage when tested by adversity and take courage. When do we need to take courage? When progress is slow. Could be speaking to disciples. Really, perhaps the best way of understanding a disciple now would be to say apprentice. People who are someone who's learning, someone who's attached themselves to a master craftsman, someone who's attached themselves to an expert, wanting to learn, wanting to kind of have hands-on experience to watch and do as they do. And so, for sometimes though, for disciples, for apprentices of Jesus, the progress is really slow. They've been diligently doing what Jesus asks. Praying. Diligently. Working hard in whatever God has directed you, directed us to do. In the workplace, seeking to be a a salty influence, reflecting what uh, God's goodness and God's good character, taking opportunities to share faith, but not seeing much happen. Very little progress. The disciples have just been straining at the oars, trying to make progress through a headwind which just wants to blow them back the other way. If they were to slacken their pace, they could just easily be back where they started. It's been hard graft uh, from the moment they set out. Maybe they set out with real verve, real enthusiasm and energy, but now, perhaps, feeling weary. In the book of Romans, Paul uh, writes to believers in Rome, in, in Romans chapter 12, and verse 11, in applying the wonders of the gospel, he says, and includes this, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Well, that's, that's wonderful. That's all true. That's good stuff. Helpful encouragement. When do we need to take courage? Well, there are times when we need to take courage when it's hard and it's slow and it's difficult. But second question is, well, how? How are we to take courage? It's all well and good just saying take courage, but how do we do it? For these disciples in the boat, we find out in verse 52 that they had not understood about the loaves. Referring back to the previous situation they just encountered when Jesus took five loaves, broke those loaves up, and distributed them to a crowd of more than 5,000 people, and they were all satisfied. It says here, they hadn't understood about the loaves. Well, what, what is the link? Because, well, that was back then, to do with bread and people having enough to eat. And this is now. This is in a boat, in difficult conditions, totally different situations. That was then. This is now. But the fact that this story begins, this account begins with the word immediately, must mean that they'd taken the leftovers with them, one way or another. Because we're told they gathered up 12 basketfuls after the big picnic had taken place and the weather was glorious. Um, they went around the crowd and with 12 
big baskets, probably baskets they had in their boat anyway to use when they caught fish. Went and got them, collected five, uh, 12 basketfuls of leftovers from this miraculous picnic. Well, what did they do next? Jesus says, right, that's it. Quick, into the boat and go. Okay. Did they, did they eat it all straight away? Well, even if they had, they would have taken it with them. Um, or they got the baskets back in the boat and set off. Maybe that's why they were making such painful, painful progress as well. They had this huge weight um, of bread and fish they were carrying uh, with them. So immediately, they took all the leftovers, either in the baskets or in their tummies, and set off on the boat. What were they talking about en route? It's the middle of the night. They're rowing. They're not getting anywhere fast. What was their conversation? Had they moved on and forgotten what they had just witnessed? You wonder, we're not told, it's pure speculation, but you wonder, were they, at what point did they start to grumble? At what point did they start to complain? What's going on here? Jesus has, has left us. I mean, is he coming back? He's gone up to a mountain. Maybe the crowd has had their way, and actually they're kind of making him king, and he doesn't want us around anymore, and he's not here for us to ask a question. He didn't really give much explanation. He just told us what to do, and we obeyed like good disciples. We did what we were told, but now he's not here, and we can't ask him, what's going on? Why is this happening? So maybe a negative mindset, and they just reach down into the basket and eat a bit more bread, reach down, get a bit more fish. Where's God when you need him? It's so easy to forget what God has done. Surely if Jesus can multiply food, he is well able, whether he's present in the boat physically or not, to help them out in this situation. So how do we take courage? By reflecting on what God has already done. Because it doesn't take long for our heads to drop sometimes. We can just as easily forget the Lord's gracious dealings with us as those 12 guys in the boat perhaps forgot of God's gracious dealing with them. We needed some food. We didn't have very much. And then Jesus told us, with what you have, give it away to this big crowd. Well, how are we going to handle that? How are we going to have anything to eat? Oh, but Jesus did a miracle, and then we each had this massive, abundant, overflowing basket of food each. Remember what the Lord has done. Oh, yeah, but that was then. That was a completely different situation. This is now. This is different. I'm allowed to panic if I want to. No. We take time to remember what God has done, how God has already provided for us, for them, that enables us to take courage. How else do we take courage? Take courage by being beware of a hard heart. We find out here these disciples, their hearts were hardened. That's why they didn't understand about the loaves. That's why they weren't really... demonstrating tremendous trust in the Lord right in the here and now. They 
have hardened hearts. It's strange because we've kind of come across that concept before in Mark's gospel. We saw it in Mark chapter 3 and verse 5. But this is Jesus encountering his opponents, people who are absolutely set against him and angry with him and have not accepted him and not following him. They just want ultimately to do away with him. Well, it says of Jesus, he looked around at them in Mark 3 verse 5. He looks around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to a man who needed healing, stretch out your hand. So there are some people with stubborn, hard hearts, people who are dead set against him. Uh, later on in Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells the parable of uh, the sower or the soils as a way of explaining why other people hadn't responded in the way that the disciples had. You see, the disciples, they're following Jesus. They know that he has words of eternal life. They want to follow him. Why isn't everybody following you, Jesus? Well, this parable explains it. Some people, like that hard ground, hear the word of God, but it bounces off. Ah, right. The disciples could be satisfied in thinking, well, that's not us, because we, we have listened, we have paid attention, and we are following Jesus. We are doing what we're told. We're following his instructions. What's interesting here, then, to see is at a time when they have more responsibility, when arguably they're more anointed and more involved in the miraculous themselves, when they're in a time of training, when their commitment is up, they're actually more prone to a hard heart. How does that come about? Well, maybe they've just got a bit impressed with themselves. They're self-righteous. Maybe they're just relying on themselves. They're self-reliance. We don't need help or... Well, he's not available anyway, so we'll just manage things ourselves. Or self-pity. Woe is us. Look at us here in the middle of the lake, and it's dark, and we don't know what's going to happen, and Jesus isn't with us. There's any number of ways in which our hearts can be hardened. We need to beware. Oh, God has it in for us. Hard hearts always assume the worst. So when, they, when Jesus walks out to them on the lake, their immediate assumption is this is something negative. It's a ghost. It's something frightening. They hadn't recognized who it was, admittedly. So they believed in the supernatural, just in the dark variety, more than in the Jesus variety. They... They don't recognize that it's him. They aren't expecting Jesus to show up. When our hearts, or a a, a possible indication that our hearts are hard, or becoming hardened, is we're not expecting Jesus to turn up. We're not expecting him to answer prayer. We don't expect him to come and help. We're actually wondering if he's just gone and left us. Maybe we're even thinking, well, if I was saved, it was just by some kind of an accident, actually. Where's he gone? He's not here now. We need to beware of having hard hearts. We need to reflect on what God has done. That's how we're to take courage. Why do we take courage? Because of Jesus. Jesus came to his disciples. He didn't stay on the mountain 
uncaring or unaware of what his disciples were going through, somehow he could see them miles off in the distance. Now, maybe it was a clear night. Maybe the moon was out. And even though he's miles away, he's got a vantage point, so he can see down, he can see this small speck of a boat going nowhere fast. Or perhaps in some more miraculous way, he's unable to see them, even though they're so far away. And he goes to them. He went to their aid. They cry out in fear. It's not even a prayer. It's not even a request for help. They're just absolutely petrified. But Jesus immediately reassures them. Look, it's me. I'm here. I've come. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Jesus identifies himself. But is there a bit more to it? Why do we take courage? We take courage because of who Jesus is. Here, Jesus is demonstrating who he is as he walks on the water. Who can do that? Who can walk on water? Some people kind of come up with these ridiculous theories. Well, there was like just beneath the water in a certain place, there was a little kind of sandbar jutting out three miles into the lake. Knowing nothing of the basic geography of the Sea of Galilee, that was it. Jesus went appearing as though he walks on water. You know, oh, come on. No, he was walking on water. Who can do that? Hands up, water walkers. I see that hand. Thank you. Hallelujah. Someone believing in the impossible. Have a look with me in the book of Job and chapter 9. A godly man, Job, is, is responding to some unhelpful advice, and he, he, he says this, he, he describes God in these ways. Oh, it's fantastic. Let's read from uh, verse 4. His wisdom is profound. His power is vast. Who has resisted him and come out unscathed? He moves mountains without their knowing it and overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place and makes its pillars tremble. He speaks to the sun and it does not shine. He seals off the light of the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He's the maker of the bear and Orion and Pallades and the constellations of the south. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. When he passes, when he passes me, I cannot see him. Where he goes by, I cannot perceive him. Job has that description of the Lord God Almighty. And here we have Jesus walking on the water, having performed countless and amazing miracles astride the waves of the sea, about to pass them by. What is Jesus doing? He's saying, look at who I am. Recognize who I am. Not just a teacher, a mentor, a friend, but I am the Almighty. I am the Lord. I'm the God who spoke to Moses on a mountain and said, I am. Who shall I say has sent me? He said, I am who I am. God's awesome, holy revelation of himself to Moses on top of a mountain. 
saying, I am. Jesus saying, in effect, here, take courage, I am here. I'm God. I'm not a ghost. I'm not something frightening. I'm not out of control. I'm not leaving you, as we were singing earlier on. I'm not, I'm not leaving you. I'm never going to desert you. I'm God. I'm with you. They're supposed to see that Jesus, their teacher, has the kind of power they would normally only expect of God, God himself. Take courage because God is with you. Now again, remember the disciples, they're straining at the oars. They're struggling to make progress. They're not making much progress physically on the lake. And at this moment, because their hearts are hard, they're not actually making that much progress spiritually either in understanding who Jesus is. And so maybe that's relevant for some here today. The message today is take courage in life, in family, in work, in health, in challenging situations when life doesn't make sense, when it's just hard again and even more so. Well, how do I take courage? What's the, how can I? Why? What's the basis of it? See who Jesus is. Maybe it's just a sense of resisting the truth. The ultimate reason for taking courage in this life is that God has revealed himself through Jesus and we can have salvation and eternal life and forgiveness in his name. That he is a Lord who's revealed that he does not desert people who've chosen to follow him. Now, okay, we could look back to uh, periods of great persecution for believers, but it's still true to say of people who suffered and died as martyrs in the first centuries for their faith. They weren't deserted. They weren't left. They were taken to glory. What we see here is a picture of disciples, again, being, being bluntly honest. They have shared with Mark... Here is us, yet again, at our least impressive. It's not a very flattering picture, but actually very encouraging. God doesn't look for brave, sorted, strong people and then choose them. He chooses us and calls us in our weakness, in our frailty, when life doesn't make sense, when we feel like we're just struggling against the wind, but he comes and he makes us brave and courageous. These disciples needed to hear that message. It's easy for fear to get in. It's easy for fear to get in in all, in all or any aspect of life. Now we could just see this passage of the disciples and say, okay, well on that occasion their hearts were hard. Praise God, Jesus just keeps chipping away, keeps kind of bringing home the truth, keeps demonstrating his power, keeps loving them, keeps teaching them, keeps spending time with them, keeps answering their questions, keeps going with the mission that God's called him to, and eventually the pennies drop. Eventually the truth hits home. Eventually they really realize and understand who he is. 
We were hearing earlier on, uh, partway through our time of worship, about Chris's garden and the hardened soil that needs breaking up. The wonderful truth is that Jesus, in his love, in his mercy, in his persistence, he keeps working, he keeps speaking, he keeps revealing himself, he keeps answering prayer, he keeps demonstrating his goodness, but perhaps also we have a responsibility to break up that hard ground. If, if we've got a hard heart towards God, and the scripture says today, if you, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your hearts. Got to plow straight through it and come to him. With fears or weakness or whatever, and say, God, here I am. Could just leave it for another day. Well, he's good, so he'll keep doing stuff. He'll keep speaking, so I don't need to deal with my heart. Nothing needs to change. I'll just continue as I was. If he's really that good, he'll keep persevering with me. And so I don't need to do anything today. Well, actually, don't believe it. Believe that God is good and Jesus is for you and Jesus loves you. But don't put off till tomorrow what should happen today. Lord Jesus, I'm coming to you. I recognize who you are. I'll I'll take courage in life because I believe, actually, if if I put my life in your hands, that's a a very good reason to have courage. I believe who you are. I'm going to continue following you and give my life to you. Amen? How about we pray and then we worship in just a moment.